Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. Hey everyone, I'm happy you're listening to the Dulles Church Podcast. Welcome. You're listening during our three-week cinema series during the month of May. And for copyright reasons, we can't post the audio of each movie clip. So during these messages, you'll hear me set up the various movie scenes, and then immediately I'll continue teaching in the message as we skip each, each movie scene. So we encourage you to watch the movie each week. So you'll understand the movie as our metaphor or parable. I'm so happy you're listening along. Okay, so uh, I begin a new series today. And this is a series where I'm going to take movie clips. We'll watch four or five or six on a Sunday morning. I had a friend years ago when I, when I tried this the first time, and I really felt like, man, I think this is something that God could use. A friend in my home church, just he, he basically called me a heretic. I mean, he didn't, I don't think he said that word, but he was like, this sounds so sacrilegious, like this is church, this is God's house. And I said, yeah, but Jesus, when he was presenting God's house, God's kingdom to people, he, he used word pictures. And we think it's so biblical today, but in Jesus' day, it was like, using a parable just seems so casual and not very spiritual. So a parable is a comparative teaching tool that Jesus did so smoothly, so effortlessly, he would take a concept of God's kingdom, which is often in our world, in our paradigm, very complex, very hard to understand, and invisible, and he would teach it using a, from our natural world, something very visible, something we would relate to. So when he's talking about the complex idea, hard for you and I to grasp, that God's words create life in us. His words spoken to us create life that then creates life out of us to others, but we can stop that. We can hinder it. We can limit it. We can be distracted by it. You know, your head is spinning If you're new to church or you've not really understood this concept, like, well, how does that work? And so Jesus says, it's like a farmer who scatters seeds. And some seeds fall, and then he starts listing in in his story different types of soil. There's soil that God's seed falls on that's thorny or has weeds in it or is hard. And then you start to think, oh, wait a minute. I think he's talking about the heart. His words are received in various ways by our heart. There can be a hardened heart or a distracted heart. And then there's the soil that's soft and fertile. And the seed grows and bears fruit a hundred times as much as was planted. And then we start to understand this is how God's kingdom works. He's trying to speak to me and I can be distracted. Or I can be hardened or bitter So today, we begin this cinema series, Moving Pictures as Modern Parables. And uh, we're going to do this. We're going to just describe something of God's truth, his reality, the reality that he wants for us, looking at uh, some recent movies. It's interesting. Matthew tells us this in Matthew 13. Matthew tells us that Jesus, when talking to the large crowds, just consistently used parables. These sort of fictionalized comparative stories that helped them understand what was reality. 
Jesus used parables to tell all these things to the crowds. He would not say a thing to them without using a parable. Okay, so if you leave today thinking, I don't feel like I was in church. I feel like I was kind of in a movie theater. That didn't feel very spiritual to me. Take that up with Jesus. Not me, okay? This was his idea. <coughs> All right, so this story today is a picture. It's a parable of the courage God wants of you and me in our lives, and not necessarily the courage that we need when starting a new job or maybe changing careers or choosing a college track that, that can be very intimidating or facing like a fear or a childhood phobia. Listen, those things need courage. This specifically that we're looking at today, this picture is of the courage that God wants you and me involving the people around us, particularly people who can be trusted, people of the church, people who are following him, um, and giving them access to parts of our lives that we typically try to hide. Today our example is of a dad's courage to buy a zoo, of all things. That sounds crazy. It's a true story. His name's Benjamin Me. He's very much alive to this day. His kids are still a part of this with him. Uh, and buying the zoo became a metaphor for himself and his own life of the courage he needed to help his kids in a healthy way process the loss of their mom. And so, like Jesus often said before his parables, the kingdom of God is like a farmer. Or the kingdom of God is like a woman who lost her valuable coin. Today, the kingdom of God is like choosing 20 seconds of courage. So here's, here's the setup to the first clip we're going to watch. I think it's fair to say uh, in our world and in our lives that we, when we find ourselves outside of what's comfortable, when you find yourself outside of just the routine, the predictable, when life is easy, when, when you find yourself facing any kind of a stress or uh, a struggle at work, a struggle at home, stepping into something new, these things can be intimidating. When having to confront something that feels awkward or, or maybe a crisis or a fear, these things can be very scary, we have a decision to make. And sadly, we as broken humans, we often choose option one, which is to act in a way or behave in a way where we try to take control of the situation or we try to, we try to regain control. And we often do this as a way to protect ourselves. When you are fighting to take control, when you're keeping people out when, when, when you're controlling people's perceptions of you, you want people to see you in one light. They don't, you don't want them to see this flaw or something of your past. When you are protecting yourself from emotional reality, the pain, the hurt, it, it just results in hurting others. Always. That's always the result. We try to protect ourselves. And when it comes to the relationships around us, we don't want to be hurt again by a person because we've been hurt, we've been wounded by others, we put walls up, and all we end up doing is hurting the people around us. And so the example we're going to use today in moving pictures is of a family in crisis. After the death of Benjamin's wife, 
the family is reeling uh, from their loss. And the son, Dylan, he is not managing well at all. And neither is Benjamin, the dad. So we see here a family in pain. Let's watch the first clip. Okay, so <clears throat> in Benjamin's eyes, Dylan can't do anything right. They're, they're in this cycle now. It's obvious to us, the viewer, man, they've lost, he's lost his mom. He's lost his wife. We, we get what's going on, but when you're in it, and we know what it's like, don't we? In that, that working for that, that boss, or with the neighbor or the family member, and, and just how we can start to cycle in blame. When you and I watch a movie like this, or when we get to be an observer of, of people who are just dealing with tension at work or whatever the situation, we tend to sympathize. We try to figure out who to sympathize with. And maybe you're doing it now like, oh, man, this poor kid. He's lost his mom. Or we sympathize with the dad. Like, well, you can't blame the dad for being upset, you know. When it comes to our own lives, we often try to blame. We're always trying to blame. Benjamin is um, now at this part of the, the movie beyond furious with his son Dylan. In his eyes, Dylan can't do anything right, and Dylan's messed up again because he left the snake box open by accident. And they wake up one morning to their farm, the zoo, uh, really becoming a snake farm. Snakes are everywhere. And Benjamin, the dad, now humiliates Dylan, the son, in front of everybody. And things are just spinning. They're just they're spiraling out of control for this family. Paul says this. This is interesting. Now, now, we're using a family this morning as our example. This isn't necessarily a family message. The, the intention here is to, to be thinking about relationships, just the people around us, and how we try to protect ourselves by hiding, acting differently than what's reality, putting in front of people a different version of ourselves than what's really going on. But in this family example, I'm going to look at something that the Apostle Paul says. This is in Ephesians 6. Children, isn't it interesting that Paul, the Apostle Paul, actually in a letter, a New Testament letter, instructs children. I just, I find this interesting as I, you know, at some point in becoming a pastor, this just kind of hit me one day. Wow, Paul takes the time to instruct children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. It's a, this is a continuation of an Old Testament command, one of the Ten Commandments. And then immediately following this is an instruction to fathers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And it's interesting to me that, and we've learned this as parents. We kind of learned this in the early years, kind of the hard way. And then we, we kind of started getting a knack for this. Like, ah, oh, we spiritually have settled into this reality. Yeah, children are supposed to honor their parents, but children honor their parents when their parents model to the kids what it looks like to honor someone. It's not like kids are just, you know, a seven-year-old or a ten-year-old is going to hear the apostles' words and just begin honoring their parents. This often happens when it's modeled. And fathers in particular, in particular are called out here, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up. That's, that's, 
that's wording that if we translated it more, more accurately into today's English, it would literally mean nurture. To what Paul's saying here is nurture, like, like growing a plant or a tree, nurture your kids in the training and instruction of the Lord, meaning in the ways of God. This is modeling. This isn't so much verbal. It's a modeling so your kids will get it. When it clicked with Amy and I that when we apologized to each other after arguments, this was years ago, we, we, we said this out loud to each other, why do we go into a room, kids, excuse it, we go into a room and apologize. We need to apologize in front of our kids. We need our kids to see us saying, girls, this was dad. I'm bringing work stress home with me. Or Amy saying, girls, I, I owe your dad an apology. That happened a lot. <laughs> I owe your dad an apology. <laughs> no, it was usually the other way around. Option one. When we face the uncomfortable, when we face a, a, a personal crisis, a crisis of faith, when there's something out of the ordinary or what's uncomfortable to us happening, we tend to, our human nature is to, to choose control. We try to control it. We want to control people's perceptions. We want to control what people see, how close they can get to us. We control whether someone can ever hurt me again. Option number one is to exasperate, which is, is always the result of when we take control, when we try to keep control, when we try to regain control. And this is the cowardly and lazy way of facing what makes us feel uncomfortable, what hurts, dealing with our mistakes, dealing with the emotion of some kind of trauma or just just. Life, the, not the way it should be. And where we can be fearful about what I mentioned, changing careers or facing a childhood phobia, our greatest acts of control involve people. We try to control other people and what people think of us. We stop talking about what matters, about what's real. We start saying things that protect ourselves and the collateral damage is hurt. We break relationships and we hurt others. I also wrote that control gives us a false security. It, pre it prevents us from facing pain, where we failed, what we've lost, and what we cannot fix. Benjamin, in this movie, we're learning, can't function without his wife, without the kid's mom. He is trying to be mom now, and he can't do it. And he's angry, He's angry at her for dying. I mean, how weird is that? What, how, how twisted we become in our brains and our emotions that while we're grieving someone we, we love, we can also be angry at them for the, the position they've put us in, as if it was her fault. Benjamin is angry at Dylan. Dylan is angry. He doesn't feel heard by his dad. His dad isn't his mom, and so Dylan is acting like the world revolves around him, and that's always a cry for help, always. And I'm just going to tell you, if you're thinking right now of somebody in your life, a boss or a, a colleague at work, and somebody who's just constantly arrogant, they're constantly bullying, or you, there's someone on your street, in your neighborhood, who is 
making life uncomfortable for you, it is almost always because of hurt that they've had. Hurt people hurt people, we say. We've said that a lot here. Benjamin took his his family from the city (laughs) out into the country, bought a zoo uh, as as a major distraction. He was attempting to distract all of them themselves from what was really going on, from everything that was wrong. And what he quickly learns is, wow, the zoo has a lot, a, lot, a lot wrong with it. There's crisis and challenge in the zoo. And one is of the tiger named Spar, who's aging. And this older tiger is having trouble moving like he used to. And Benjamin is faced with having the courage or maybe not having the courage to make a very difficult decision in the zoo. And this is just, again, a metaphor of what's exposing another lack of courage, the bigger lack of courage in helping his kids be healthy and deal with loss and pain in life in a healthy way. Um, all right, that's the setup to this next clip. Let's, let's, let's watch. Yeah, like, do I laugh or do I not laugh? Like, funny but tense, right? Um, of the things that just kind of end up seeping out of us in deep crisis when we're working so hard to cover up how we're feeling or what's really going on or what happened. So Paul says in that text we read earlier, what, one thing he's implying is that it's actually possible for parents and kids to grow apart. And we've all experienced this to some degree. If you're a parent or you're a child, or you've been a child, you have, all of you have, we, we, all of us have, this is a very real um, possibility. And one chapter earlier, Paul's talking about marriage as an example, and he implies, wow, spouses could grow apart if you're not careful, if you're not focused on the way of my kingdom. And so if kids and parents can grow apart, if that can happen with spouses who at one point pledged to share everything in life together, to spend their lives together... This can happen in any relationship, and distance can happen between you and God. If we're not careful, we can allow distance to emerge between ourselves and God. And so, how do we come together? What does it look like to come together? It always begins with acknowledging. It always begins with acknowledging, honestly, what's going on. This could be one of the scariest messages you ever hear in church. We're okay with the idea of talking quietly in our car or in our room to an invisible God. There's something about that that some of us, a lot of us, can say, well, okay, I can tell God what I did. I can open up, I can, I can be transparent with an invisible God, but talking to the people around me, trusting someone in my church... acknowledging honestly what we're feeling. This is option number two. Option one is to control, control what people think, control how I feel, what I'm not going to allow myself to feel. And option two is the way of Jesus. It's what we're consistently presented with all through the New Testament into Paul's words. And it's what God is asking of you and me. 
Option number two is choosing, having the courage to face honestly what hurts, something that's threatening us, something that's broken, something that's unjust. Look at this example. The Psalms are, they've been so precious to me in times of, I haven't faced many times in my life that I would say was true crisis, but there have been a number. Anywhere from crisis to just hurt or feeling mistreated. The Psalms are not only the largest book, body, in the Scriptures, but while some of them are just straight up praise, God, you're amazing, you're remarkable, you've done it again. You've been true to me. Many of the Psalms are honest about how crappy life is and why it feels like God hasn't shown up or my enemy is advancing and this is really getting, this is, this is getting real, God. They're right there on the next hill. This time tomorrow we could be wiped out. Where are you? So many of the Psalms show us the courage to deal with a world that's broken. The psalmists don't blame God for breaking the world. The psalmists aren't saying, what did you, you were a terrible creator. You've created people that hurt one another. The psalmists understand we live in a broken world by our doing, and now you, God, have chosen to come into this brokenness, into this pain, into our violence. I had somebody question that about a year ago, like, God came into our violence? And I'm like, yeah, look at the cross. Look at this psalm. This is an example, Psalm 44. The psalmist says, we have heard it with our ears, O God. It's amazing how this starts, how the psalm starts remembering what God's done, who he's been, and then how quickly it turns, so honestly. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago, referring to the, the slaves being freed in Egypt and becoming their own nation and going through the Red Sea and toward the Promised Land. With your hand, you drove out the nations. And planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples. You know, the, the wicked um, Canaanites. And made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land. Nor, or, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. But now, verse 9, but now you have rejected and humbled us. This is hyperbole language of the psalmist where you feel so distraught or so lost or the pain is so deep. You're saying to God, you're actually using these words, but now you've rejected me. Now you've left me. And God's never afraid of this language. God's deep concern is that you and I would grow quiet. We would choose option one. We become silent. We start talking happy talk. How are you doing? Great. How are you? We do this all the time. And sometimes that's appropriate. We're not supposed to air everything just to the general public. But the psalmist model for us the reality, the, the speaking, acknowledging our reality. But now you've rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, which is humiliating. And adversaries have punished us. You gave us up to be delivered like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. The psalmist isn't complaining to other people or just internalizing the fear or the anger or the crisis. The psalmist is taking it to and speaking it to God. 
And something remarkable happens every time we do that. When we sit with a trusted friend, when we open up about that thing in the past that has been haunting us and it has been eating you alive, when you finally speak, some of you sitting here and I, you know, I often refer to Alton. Alton and I, we've been close buddies for, what, 16 years? I mean, we have talked out some deep, deep hurts in how we've been treated, things that happened before we knew one another, things that are embarrassing. I need this in my life. And I have that because I had the courage finally one day to say, hey, can we talk about something? That I think all of us should have a friend in a church where we can talk about those vulnerable places in our lives or those places where we've experienced hurt or pain. The psalmist goes on, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. This is just big language, poetic language to say, this is how awful I feel right now. This is how low I am. I'm at the bottom of the barrel, God, and I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm speaking it out loud. I'm not talking behind your back. Isn't it easy? Man, social media has made this easier than ever. You're hurting in some way. You don't like the way you feel or the way you look. And so it's so easy to just talk about somebody else. We can complain about others. Or we can take what's really hurting or haunting us, and we can just internalize it and allow it to define us far different than the way God looks at you and me as his children, as his son, as his daughter. The last line of the psalm, rise up and help us, rescue us, and he goes back to the beginning of the psalm. He goes back to what he knows about God. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. See, when you speak honestly to God, to a friend, in the context of people also experiencing Jesus, the reality of Jesus, you are reminded in your spirit and through the words of the friend of the reality of God. Yes, life in this world hurts often. There's times where we just feel disappointed in people. But our God chose to come into this mess. He chose to come into our, our mistakes. He chose to come into our hurt, our tragedies, our failures, and show us that he is walking with us and is beginning the process of renewing life, renewing you from the inside out. And I love these psalms that say, God, the sky is falling, but you are good and you're always true. And then the next psalm, the next page in the story is, you did it. God, you did it. Again, you've been so good and so true. And I didn't realize how you were working, but now I see the full picture. Okay, for the next clip, Benjamin decides to stop blaming the kids for their mom not being there. He chooses courage to start facing and speaking his reality. And this doesn't put an added burden on his son, Dylan. It actually just 
begins to have the opposite effect, this healing effect. He's showing the courage to take the first step by talking, talking about what's really going on and showing his kids how to heal. Let's watch this clip. Man, it's hard to pick these clips. We skipped a couple clips that I almost played this morning that are so good on this movie. Um, I ended up with this one here because, man, when you finally, when you finally say what's going on, it, it just has this healing effect. We're so afraid of it. Like, what will they think? But actually, it has this magnetic effect, this healing effect. When we talk, when we say out loud what isn't fair, or the pain that we're facing, or a fear that we've never wanted to deal with, what about your mistakes? What about your sin? Let's use the S word. Like, really? We speak these, we speak these out? James says this. This is really, it's, it still fascinates me, this link between speaking out loud your mistakes, your selfish choosing, your sin, and healing. James tells us to confess our sins out loud to someone in your church community as part of your healing process. Man, if there's anything that maybe we're afraid of spiritually more than any other idea, it might be that. Benjamin is stepping into the place of courage, which is where life is. He's teaching his son that courage often begins with speaking, acknowledging what's been wrong, what the reality is. When you live on a broken planet that isn't what it should be, you can blame God. You and I have done this. And we can blame the people around us for what hurts. Or you can speak to the God who has come into the pain. You can say out loud what your failure is. Describe what you've lost. Acknowledge what scares you. And most of the time, in these moments, these pictures, this makes it safer for us because this, this scenario is an example of what's playing out in our lives in some way right now. Someone has to soften first. Someone has to go first. And say, hey... I, I'm going to acknowledge something here. There's been tension between us, or hey, I've been really quiet lately, or I know I've been, seems like I've been in a bad mood, or I, I want to just speak to what's been going on. And somebody's got to apologize first. Psalm 46. Here's another example from the Psalms. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, which means, so here's... Here's the result of that. We will not fear. That's another way of saying, I will be courageous. I will have courage. I will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. The psalmist goes on to say, this is reality. I'm not going to cower in fear, even though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake, with their surging. That's hyperbole again, but what the psalmist is saying is this world can hurt sometimes and it can shake. But I'm going to walk in courage. Why? Because God is my refuge. He's my strength. He's ever present with me. 
And when that, when that goes from being just Bible talk or just church language into your belief system, you find yourself being able to actually face what you never thought you could and say out loud which leads you to healing which you never thought you would speak out loud. Why? Because God is with you in the mistakes, in the hurt, in the pain, in the loss, the betrayal. You're his son. You're his girl. Joshua, my favorite Old Testament book. God says, have I not commanded you, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Here's why. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The story isn't that God is ignoring your pain or he doesn't see injustice or the hurt. The story is that God has come into your pain, into this broken world to be an ever-present help to you, always with you wherever you go. You know, in that last scene, they both seemed surprised, I thought. I, I, I wrote this um, just after I'd seen this, you know, a few times. It seems like they're both surprised that the other one is asking for help. They're both acknowledging. Um, and it shows that they've both been so focused on their own hurts, their own internalizing, that they've not been able to stop and think about what the other needs. That's what's so beautiful about the scene we just watched. Wow, they're now actually both thinking about the other. And this is empathy. You know, when they say, what if we said to one another what we wish the other one would say? Well, when you twist that, once you actually kind of do that, it's, it's easier to twist that into, why don't I say what I know they want me to say? Why don't I say what she needs me to say? I, I'm going to go first. And this is empathy. This is allowing your headspace to go from hiding and controlling to what is she feeling? What is he dealing with? Uh, the courage of real empathy continues in this next scene as Benjamin decides to do what Dylan's mom would have done to become his fan. This is our shortest clip. Let's watch this. This may not have been your experience with your dad or your mom. And there may have been a betrayal in your life that nobody in this room really could relate to. This does not mean for a second that the God who created you and has a future for you in mind isn't ready to walk alongside you when you open up and allow people access. Could you get hurt again? Yes, you could. Could you feel disappointed by people again? Yes, you could. Will that happen again in your life? Yeah, it probably will happen to all of us again. But when you know that God, who came into this messy, messy world of hurtful people, is healing you and building a strength in you as you acknowledge and allow others to come in and experience your story and become familiar with your story, it just leads to beauty. And sometimes somebody's got to go first. We've got to stop waiting for other people to model this. And God's Spirit is asking you to go first. And that's what Benjamin does in this last clip. Uh, if you don't like spoilers, this is the last scene of the movie. Just cover your eyes and plug your ears. Um, I know a lot of This is an, an older movie. I think this is 10 years old or so. But, um, man, I just, what a great example. Let's, let's watch the last clip. 
On our recent trip to L.A. a few years ago, I, I went and found this diner and just stood there at that window because the scene so impacted me to have the courage. You know, it's easy to think the 20 seconds of courage for Benjamin was buying this zoo, risking his financial future, buying this zoo and taking his family on an adventure. And then we could think, well, no, the 20 seconds of courage was actually when he walked up to his wife. He had never met her. But we realized the 20 seconds of courage was actually moving towards his kids with his own pain, his own hurt, his own honesty with what scared him. And it's not magic. It takes time. For some of us, it takes months, maybe years. But the picture of his son softening is so often... What we see is the result of us going first, us apologizing first, us telling our story of the raw or the uncomfortable or the hurt or the mistake. We've been taught to hide our mistakes, but you go first in being honest about a mistake. Watch what happens around you. Somebody's going to tell their mistake. Somebody's going to see a friend in you. Somebody's going to say, that's the kind of friend I've been waiting for. Okay, so today our ending isn't very dramatic here, our last few seconds of the morning. Putting this into practice. You know, if, 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 if what we do is say, hey, this is different, this is good, I, maybe you like this message, and that's it, we get in our car and go home like, man, church can show movie clips, who knew? If that's the takeaway, it's kind of a waste of time. Jesus calls us to put his way into practice. And so this week, as simple as it may say, one challenge I leave you with is to say to God, early in the morning, in the quiet of your room, maybe the quiet of your car is where it needs to be, speak out loud to God what hurts. Tell him your failure. Tell him your control. He knows it. Acknowledge your control to cover up your failure. And tell Jesus you want him to be in control. And then what might be scarier is this week with one person, at least one person, speak out loud to someone your story, your hurt, your pain, your regret. Or maybe, maybe you're speaking out loud to someone this week needs to be an apology. Let's not listen to this and say, oh, this is good. Oh, I like. Let's actually do it. Let's trust God. Let's have the courage enough to trust God to speak to speak. Jesus, you came into our world. You could have left us. You could have gone and started another world. You could have just thrown your hands up. Like, what have these humans done? You chose to come into our pain, into our, our hurt, our failures. And when we may not know who to trust or where to trust today, your church is supposed to be. When your church looks like you, when your church sounds like you, when, when it behaves like you, it is the most trusted, trustworthy place on earth. May we be that group of people that can hear one another's stories and nothing scares us. We can hear of others' mistakes and we want to wrap our arms around one another. May we keep it real. May we be people in a community, a tribe that keeps it real. 
And in so doing, we invite health, we invite healing, and we invite others into your healing, Jesus. Give us the courage this week to say out loud to you what we need to, and give us the courage this week to say to someone our story, our apology. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for coming to heal us. (laughs) Thank you so, so, so much. Amen. Amen.